Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our coming King. Greetings. Greetings. What, a, what an amazing thing to live in a time where you are just doing whatever you, you think you're going to do, and all of a sudden your life completely changes. Uh, you don't plan on it changing. You know, that scripture that where, where Jesus reminds us, uh, where actually it's actually in the book of James, where it says that we should, we should not say that we're going to do this or that. But what we're supposed to say this. If we live, and the Lord wills, and I was talking about this, I think, the other night at the Bible study. Nobody wants to say that, if we live, and if the Lord wills. We just want to say, Lord willing. We, we like to say that one. But, but what it says to say is, if we live... And the Lord is willing, we shall do this and that. You know, having that constant reminder before us reminds us of the frailty of man and the frailty of life and of our dependence on God. Amen? That shouldn't make us have fear. It should put us in the, the realization of where we're really standing. We don't know if what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next month or next year. But we know who holds the future. Amen? It is the Lord Himself, the Sovereign, the King of the universe, King of kings, and Lord of lords. Today we're going to talk about the delight of the new heart. Say that with me. The delight of the new heart. The delight of the new heart. God is changing us and changing our desires so that we delight to do His will. The psalm that will be used today for our call to worship comes from, uh, it is Psalm 86. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. I want everyone to say this. I know it's been a while since I've been with all of you, and, I, and I, I'm going to do a few extra repeats today, okay? <laughs> Everybody say, I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy, O thou, my God. Save thy that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. 
neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Everybody say, He is God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all of my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. Everyone say, I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest pit of hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set before them, set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, that art gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy on me. Everybody say, Lord, have mercy on me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaiden. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, thou hast helped me and hast comforted me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. We thank you for your uh, willingness and your ability to save us to bring us unto you, to call us your own, to make us uh, inheritors of your grace. We pray today as we gather together in your presence that you would speak to us, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would draw us nearer to you, that you would make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said... beautiful harmonies of uh, our church as we gather together is a delight it's a big gift to me if it's not for anybody else I'm just I'm having a ball today (laughs) praise God my sermon today as I told you before is called the delight of the new heart and it is I'm going to preach all 17 verses of Psalm 40 and but I'm just going to read four verses for a text today So Psalm 40, starting in verse 4, and I'll read 4 through 8. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and he respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee, If I would declare and speak of them, there are more that can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. My ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Let us pray. Oh, let that be our prayer today, that your law would be our delight. It would not just be our marching orders or our instructions or our 
mode of lifestyle, but that it would permeate us from the inside out, that we would not be the dead men's bones that the Pharisees were who could indeed uh, in a fashion obey Your law, but their heart was far from You. Give us new hearts today. And let it be the delight of our hearts to do Your will. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We regularly sing Psalm 40 when we sing, I waited for the Lord, He stooped and heard my cry. He, he brought me from, right, from the pit, right? Out of the dungeon mire. These are beautiful words. In fact, I really love the, what the author, the author, if you, in fact, it kind of influenced the way that I remember Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 doesn't say, he stooped and heard my cry. Verse 1. But the whole psalm, you know what the whole psalm says? The whole psalm says, <laughs> I, I prayed and God stooped. What is the picture being here? He, everybody say, God is here in His greatness. And I am not. Everybody say, I am not. You know, there is something about understanding and seeing God for who He is that causes us to stand in wonder that He listens to our prayers, that He hears our voices, that He inclines His ear to our requests and, and, and gives them to us. If, if you're not amazed by that, I think you're missing something today. God answered, and I really think there's almost a question that should come in our voice, Elijah, like, He answered my prayer? Mine? The God that made it all? Amen. My little old prayer? And I'm telling you, if we come to God, we must come that way with this kind of wonder. The Psalm of David was written as a psalm of praise for being rescued from some great calamity or danger, which was one of David's constants in life. I really think it's impossible to even approach imagining what life, what the life of David must have been like before and after he was anointed king of Israel. His life as a shepherd, often characterized as the harp-playing uh, long-haired poet who, who hung out with sheep and blissfully communed with them beside babbling brooks. Yeah, I, I know at least of one story where there was a lion and another one where there was a bear. Right? I don't really think we quite understand what it was like to live outside in the wild in Israel during the time that David lived. I really think that we imagine it one way but I think the actual reality of it was probably pretty scary. There's one time during the life of David where there's a battle going on and it said that the animals and the wildlife and the forest itself killed more people than the warriors who killed one another fighting in battle. What on earth were they encountering? What fearful animals and beasts and lions and bears and God knows what was there? What pits were there to be to take hold of them 
God was good to him there in those days in his youth, even then, but it seems that danger was surrounding him and threatening him. And it was always threatened to enter into his own personal solitude. We know at least many, many of these things happened before he was uh, anointed king. I, I mentioned these things. One of the things I wanted to mention is I wanted to mention a, a quagmire or a quicksand because that, that comes in handy here in a second. Snakes, turbulent weather, just to name a few. But after all that, he was anointed king. Saul sought for his life. He's throwing javelins and sticking them in the walls and chasing him all over the countryside as he runs for his life. And even after Saul was dead, there were the threats within his own household from his children and the sin and the judgment of God which was fearful upon him. But besides all of that, there were the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Could you imagine even sleeping? I don't even know. Like, we have a lot we think we have to worry about, you know? Right, Elaine? We don't have a storm shelter. Ah! You know. Could you imagine going, we don't have a Canaanite shelter. <laughs> uh, they run around in bands of like 20,000, and they don't carry their groceries, and they steal all your stuff, and they kill everything. And that's a little scarier than a tornado. How many would say, I do... I? I'm so glad the Canaanites don't live in Ohio and then I don't have to worry about them. But danger was a part of his every single day. They would wake up one morning and the Philistines would be encamped around their city with, you know, uh, instruments of war with, with these incredible machines that they would roll up to their walls and begin pounding. I mean, like, really? I mean, there was the recall on my... Carthy, you know. <laughs> I mean, I went through Starbucks and they had no vanilla for my latte. What is wrong with this world? Just the supply chain is falling apart. <laughs> you can't even imagine his life. You know, we say these are first world problems, you know, that we live in. Folks, we're li we have 21st century problems and we have the, the thin 21st century skin. I don't want to make too much fun of my little fella down here, but apparently I've been real busy doing the work of God and I haven't really taken him out. And Heath, maybe you could help me with this because I know you're way better at doing this. You're, I think your kids, your girls are tougher than maybe my little boys, okay? I don't know, okay? You know, and, and so it's like, I, I took my kid fishing. He's like, "Ooh, the worm!" I'm like, "We ain't doing that." Like, "Oh," you know. I'm like, "What is that?" You know. And I'm like, "He's now," you know, like, you know, put a, a hook in the, uh, you know. I'm like, "I." It was painful. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. But I'm like, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I grew up, you know. You know, put my hand down at you know a, a catfish's mouth, or you know what I mean, like re, you know, grabbing hold of a groundhog, you know, and chewing on his arm, you know, whatever. That's how I grew up. Okay, would jump out of trees, you know, and 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 that was the life I lived. And my my kids haven't really quite lived like that. David is living in danger and peril and difficulty. And folks, what I'm telling you is, is we complain, but we really have very little to complain about. But we all still need saved. Everybody say, I still need saved. 
We all need to be saved for God to pull us up from the pits that we fall in. Everybody say, we fall in. The ones we deliberately walk in. Say, the ones I deliberately walk in. And the ones we dig ourselves for other people to fall in. And we fall in those, right? That's what we need saved from. We need to be saved from the world and from ourselves. We don't have to have the thick skin of the time of the Israelites or even crazy hillbilly thickness, okay? We don't have to have that. But we all need saved, okay, from ourselves from time to time. Psalm 40 is a psalm about salvation in the sense of having your physical life saved. At least it was when David wrote it. But in the advent of the new covenant and as the apostles established the church, the writer of Hebrews most likely the Apostle Paul, as the church has accepted him to be the author of Hebrews, used Psalm 40 as a picture of complete and total salvation, spirit, soul, and body from eternal condemnation. He does this in Hebrews chapter 10, which you heard the whole chapter. We're not going to go over the whole chapter, but we are going to get into some of it. And he used other Old Testament writings, including a prophecy from Jeremiah, to make his case. David's delight at God's great salvation becomes the delight of the new heart. Everybody say the delight of the new heart. You see, I'm telling you, my son and I were sitting up and you think, you know, what happens at the Robinette household? My son Nathaniel and I were up last night. It was midnight and we're sitting down in my living room and we're talking about what a scoundrel, what a what a absolute wretch David was. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even allow him in our house. He's a nasty, nasty guy. He is. I mean, now, no, you, you're going, what are you talking about? I can't believe you would say that about David. He wrote all of the Psalms. And, and, he, and he, Jesus is the son of David, right? Blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, now, son of David. But I'm telling you, David of the Bible is a nasty, nasty, nasty man. Oh, this is too hard for me to deal with. Well, it's too hard for you to deal with because you don't know you're a nasty man. You think you're good just like you think he was. But what was good about David is that he loved God and that it was his delight to do God's will. He didn't do God's will a lot. You think it was God's will when he was like, man, that Bathsheba, woo! You know what? People are going to find out about what I did. I think I'll kill her husband. Right? When his sons are sinning and doing wrong, He's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to do anything about that. I mean, I know one of my sons raped his half-sister, my daughter, but I don't really want to do anything about it. I mean, come on, guys. What would you think about somebody like that? And then when, when Absalom's heart is crushed because he does what his dad should have done and kills his brother. Now, his brother needed judgment for that. But, and so Absalom took it into his own hands. But even when that, David still doesn't do anything and he ignores his son and he creates a horrible situation in Israel. David is a man who is just about as weak as they come. What in the world do we, why do we even listen to him? We listen to him because he's not speaking. God used him to speak to us. And God does that. God uses people who are sinners, who are weak, who are not the paragons of perfection and righteousness to speak. That's why it says, here we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Why? Because if it 
If you were a golden vessel, you'd be, you'd be strutting it all about. Where's the boasting? It's excluded. There is an ugliness that comes into us when we really think that the way that we live impresses God and earns us the right, and it causes us not to go, He answered my prayer. I keep thinking, Jason, I keep thinking God's going to be done with me. And you go, well, what's so wrong about you? I can tell you what's so wrong about me. It's the same thing that's wrong about you. It's just different stuff. Oh, not us. We're squeaky clean. You stink. God says you do. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. Our righteousness are, is filthy rags. Well, yeah, but I'm pretty righteous. Yeah, you are. You're pretty righteous and you stink. Because that's as, that's as good as you can get. All right, so we're going to run through this. Psalm 40, verse by verse, and I'm going to preach. You guys ready for this? All right. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me. Wow! And he heard my cry. In the inspired heading we learned this is yet another of the psalms of David, and it was a song to be sung by God's people. Music was a vital part of worship then, and it still is today. We should constantly be striving to do it with skill and excellence and, and beauty and honor. Amen? Singing with your whole heart is something that's how you worship God. You, can't, you cannot do in talk what you can do in song. You cannot do with no music what you can with a melody. David begins the song talking about his faith. He waited patiently for the Lord. He was in some, as I explained, some difficult spot, but we don't know what it was. One, though, he was certain that without the aid of God, he would not make it out alive. I don't know how many of you have ever come close to dying. I think because I'm a preacher of the gospel and God wants me to be able to relate. I have come close to dying over and over and over. I have been convinced I was dying or being killed so many times I can't even remember them all. So sometimes I'll have a memory and go, oh yeah, that was pretty scary. But he was in this. He was, and there's nothing like it to really, really get you down to a baseline of what's real is when you're scared and you really think you're going to die right then. And he's there, okay? Now he believed God, right? During that time he prayed and he waited, meaning he was expecting, and we've talked about this, he was expecting God to answer his prayer. Now, even though he believed, he wanted God to hurry up. You can have faith and still wish God would show up faster, okay? You believe he's coming, and you're, 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 you're looking out your proverbial window. Where is he? You know, he should have been here a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, I really wish he would have showed up sooner. Uh, Lord, I mean, if you don't come now, there'll be nothing to come for. I'm, I'm about completely done, right? Isn't that how we are? God, where are you? And, and we, we, we believe he hears us and we believe he's coming, but we just want him to hurry up. And that's what David was doing. I waited patiently for it. You know, can you imagine? We had patience with God. I mean, seriously? But he inclined unto me. And he heard my cry. You, you don't really catch it. You, there's no way to grab this in the Hebrew in this one verse. But when you look at the whole chapter, what you'll see is the message here is he cannot believe God still 
or would even listen to him. I believe that's why David, that's why God gave us a sinner like David to write all of our songs. Because they should, that should be where our hearts come from. Why in the world would God do this for me? He heard him out of his holy hill. Isn't it something that God can hear in Christ, Rebecca? Even though there are so many people crying all over the world, it may seem even that he's far away, that it might even be hard for him to hear us. But, but kids, guess what? It's not. It's not hard for God to hear us. It's a good time to be reminded that God is not way out in the heaven on a fuzzy long-distance line. That He's not engaged in something and, and when He's done doing that, maybe He will notice your cry for help. It's not like that. It's not even like when blind Bartimaeus was screaming out louder and louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know God didn't need more volume. He didn't need it. He heard it. He heard it when He hadn't even said it. He's right there with you at all times. God is. He hears your cries for help. This is indeed what we should do when our prayers are answered. What David does next. We should praise God for it. Amen? Sometimes we're so busy receiving the answer to our prayer, we just get excited about the answer itself and we forget about the God who sent the answer to us. We have so much to be thankful for. How often have we prayed and God has done it? So often we can't even count it. We can't even remember it. If we sat down and we just went through our life and if we had written down all this, we would be sitting here and telling story after story after story where we went to the Lord in prayer. He's right here with you. We do not summon Him like some wandering spirit with our magic incantations or awaken Him like some false pagan god. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. Here David is thanking God for hearing his calls for help in his own humility, in his own disbelief that God could even care about a man so far removed from him in his sinful state. Here in verse 2, David uses the analogy of being stuck in a muddy pit and the terror of that situation, and he contrasts it with putting him on solid ground. So many of the things that we get into are like that. A, a muddy pit at first doesn't really seem so bad. And once again, we're all 21st century. You've never even been in How many of you have ever been stuck in a muddy pit thinking you're going to die? That's what I thought. Oh, but there's somebody here that has. Not only have I been stuck in a muddy pit, I actually saved somebody's life who was in a muddy pit, who was sinking in quicksand and who was going to die. And it wasn't a five-minute ordeal. that you, it, The whole thing was a whole movie, practically, for me. It lasted two hours. It was terrifying. I used to live near a series of gravel pits over here in Lockbourne. If you know where Lockbourne and Aurora come together, there's gravel pits on both sides of the house I grew up in. And, and in a gra gravel pit area, the, you know, they, they, they create these areas because the ground is filled with gravel and rocks and sand. And if you dig down, it's there. Well, there's something else in those places, and it's like quicksand. Have you, have you, ever, you ever been in that? It's, it's not at all funny. And at first, you know, like when I was a kid, I would lose a lot of shoes, right? And I would, I would go over there, and all of a sudden I'd go, whoa! You know, and then I'd be like, okay, my other foot isn't it. And I'd be like, 
oh my goodness. And then all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh man. And my, my shoe's like that now, and you can't get it, you know. And you have to like put your arm, you know, like lay in the mud, and you're like, okay. I literally have to go home without a shoe. This happened to me several times. My poor parents. But I went over there one day, and there was a kid who was, he, was, he had just moved to the area, and he, he discovered the joy of the gravel pit, which, you know, no trespassing, don't go in here, danger, right? But that's an invitation sign for a kid. And so, so I mean, I went there almost every day, and I'm fishing, and I'm hanging out, and, and I knew how to deal with it. And this kid is screaming. I'm like, what in the world? And I go, and he is up to here with both legs screaming. And he's in the middle. What he did is he got scared, and he went this way. Okay, if, if you ever get around it, I'll explain how you do it. As soon as you go in, you just got to go backwards. You, you Don't do that. But what happens is the more you struggle, the deeper you go. And eventually what happens is you're just gone. And in this time, it was a little bit cold. He was at the, when I got to him, he was shaking all over, ready to go into hypothermia. But I, I, I got this big, long stick and I kind of put it between his legs where it went out behind him about two feet or three feet and the other way too. And it kind of held him. There was a branch on both sides. And then I got another one and I grabbed, you know, and, I'm, and he held on to it and it takes forever. It's like pulling up a night crawler that won't come out of the ground. You know, you got, got, to, got to hold it and hold it, hold it, hold it. And so just by the time we were done, we like couldn't even walk. It's scary. This David, David experiences. They had this in Israel. These pits are terrifying. It's like slow, certain, helpless death. You wear yourself out. David is talking about his own sin, folks. You know, it is a great picture of what sin is. You don't, it looks like anything. You're just out, you're going to go fishing. You're just walking around. It's no big deal. And you put your little foot in there. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I got this. And next thing you know, you can't get out. And not, there's not always somebody there to come and help you. If you're in a place with a signs that tells people not to come in, what are the chances someone's going to come in there and find you? David is referring to something like this. It was also a means of trapping animals and, and men that was common in that time. You've heard about it many times. He prays that they would fall in the pit that they dug, right? We, we read, it's all over the scripture. God not only gets him out of the pit, though, he puts his feet on the solid rock. Isn't this a great picture? We're, you know, when we are in our own sin, what are we? we? We don't really see the danger of it. It seems like it's no big deal. Next thing you know, we're swallowed up. Next thing you know, we are out of strength. We can't do anything. We can't get ourselves out. We have to have a Savior. If I wasn't there, I'm telling you, I do believe that young man would have died. There's no getting out. It wasn't like, oh, maybe. No, it was, it was bad. In fact, I'm just now remembering that I could not pull him out. I had to get water, and I, it's a whole story, but I had to get water and pour down where his feet are to where the water would help him get out. I, it's a long story, but it was, it, was, it was terrible. But what I'm telling you is that David is understanding that his own sins, and he talks about this, they have surrounded him, they've overwhelmed him, they've worn him out. He... He realizes that his sins are like this actual situation that he's in. He's in a situation he cannot get out of. He is hopeless. He needs a Savior. Now, once again, he's not talking about salvation that you and I experience, you know, salvation in Jesus. But God, that's what God uses this analogy for. 
And of course we know the Bible talks about the man who built his house on the sand, right? And the man who built his house on the rock. So he takes him out of the mud and he puts him on the rock. God saving David and giving him sure footing does something for him. And it should do something for us. It should fill our mouths with song. And I love this. And I actually got to hear a new song yesterday. Sarah played one. We were visiting with the Ratless over at their house. And she pulled out her guitar. But verse 3 it says, And he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust the Lord. David is explaining what happens when God saves us from either the pit that we dig, the, 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 the one that someone laid for us, the one that we didn't see coming. When we get saved from that, what it did for David is it filled his mouth with a new song. What do you think his song was when he was in the pit? <laughs> or even before he's in the pit? It's all good. I'm tough. I got it. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. The next day I'm going to do this. I'm king of Israel. You know, no, Now he's in the pit and now he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. But as soon as he's out, guess what he's got? He's got a new song of praise for his God. And he's saying, huh, my salvation isn't going to just be for me to sing about that when other people hear it and other people hear me praising God and lifting up his voice, they are going to fear God. This is what should be the response. God doesn't just save you for your sake. He saves you so that you can be the instrument of salvation for others. The world is being saved by God, but He's doing it through you. God is saving your children, but He's doing it through you. And in this sense, David is realizing that his salvation is not just for him alone. It's for others. God doesn't just save us from ourselves and our enemies. He gives us something good. It's not just that we won't sink and suffocate beneath the miry clay. Or even that we just have a solid foundation. There's even more than that when He saves us. He gives us a life that is a song and a joy. In verse 4, David reminds us again, as he has done in other psalms, of the blessed man. Because these are the words of his song. He's like, God, give me a new song. You want it? And he's like, you want to hear some of the words of this song? In the song, he's singing about a song that he sang. You know? He said, here's what my new song was. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is the man... It is this blessed man that we learned about in Psalm 1 and that you will hear about again and again who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight, everybody say his delight. His delight is the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know, sometimes we need to be in a pit to realize what is really delightful. Sometimes we need to be where we think we have no life to realize that the life that He's given us is something to praise Him for. Amen? Nothing that makes life more precious than almost losing it. The blessed man that we hear in Psalm 1 who does this, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Here David sings of the blessings of putting his trust in the Lord. Trust in money you'll be let down. Trust in your country and it will fail you. Trust in your own strength and you are a fool. But trust in the Lord and you will never be disappointed and you will never be ashamed. The words of this new song of praise issue forth more in verse 5 
Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, Lord, look at all that you have, and look at all of you done, and you think about me. Oh, this is even more wonderful than a mountain vista. They cannot be reckoned in order unto thee. If I would declare them or speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. You're so magnificent. And you think about me? O oh God, who has days without number, strength beyond measure, and unsearchable depths, delight. He delights us with his many and varied wonders of the world. From the mighty river canyons to purple cirrus sunsets and thundering volcanoes to something so unthinkable as the taste of hot bread or bread, yeast smelling bread with strawberry preserves on it. Or even the medicine of laughter. These are the wonderful works of God. Andrea made some sort of chocolate brownie silk pie thing. Wow. I mean, really? Can there be that many tastes all in one place so wonderful? Derek smoked a pork chop. I, I, got, I got like an extra, I got a part, extra dinner, part, extra lunch, and I needed it, you can tell. It's right before dinner, and Derek and I are eating a pork chop at his house. It was great. It was fantastic. God makes smoked pork chops. Amazing. His wonderful works have no beginning or end, even just to name them all one by one. This time of year we go outside and we breathe in. And we breathe in. It's not just a smell. We breathe in an entire season. You ever, you ever do that? You know, little Thomas greeted me at the door. He's like, wonderful, big and wonderful things are happening here. I'm like, what's going on, Thomas? I pull up in the driveway. Oh, wonderful things. He's like, birds are making nests. And, and they're laying eggs. And, and he goes, it's, it's the whole world's coming alive. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Thomas, that's right, man. Telling you that's the heart of, of praise. Wonderful things. Do you ever look around your church and go, oh, wonderful things are happening here? The people of the children of our church want to serve God. They want to know your word. People, men want to love their wives, and, and husbands want to learn to lay down their lives for their wives. The people of Foundation Church want to honor God's word. I mean, breathe it in. Breathe it in. He told us through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than, so are my ways higher than your ways, God has said, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But guess what? Guess what, Sarah? He thinks about us. That's what we can't imagine. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. Oh, he's so wonderful. And, you know, he still thinks about us, Becky. Why? Oh, that's a wonder in itself. That's a wonder in itself. Here in the next verse, in verse 6 of Psalm 40, he ventures into divine revelation that I'm sure he could not understand. And, you know, sometimes we do that too. Sometimes when we speak to our children, sometimes when I speak to you as a church, I don't even know, I don't even know that I'm, what I'm saying is God breathed for you. And David does this. He, 
you know, I think he thinks he's being clever and poetic when he's doing what he's doing, or he's just maybe pouring from his heart, but he has no idea what he's actually saying here in this verse. Because I'm telling you, it actually doesn't make sense to a person living then, but it certainly makes sense to us now, and it is true. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Have you ever read the law? What does God say He wants? Sacrifice. How do, how, what do they do on the Day of Atonement? Offer sacrifice. What does everyone when kids are born? Sacrifice. What do we do when someone's a sin? Sacrifice. What do we do? Well, sacrifice, sacrifice. The, the smell of burnt flesh never left the air. It was going on constantly in Israel. So he writes a song. And in his song he says, you, you don't want that. <laughs> now is he really saying God doesn't want it? What he's trying to say is that God wants something more. It's not saying stop the sacrifice. Israel didn't quit after they wrote this song. But what he's saying is God wants something more for you than that. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. Mine ears has to be open. I understand something now. Burnt offering and sin offering has thou not required. Folks, it absolutely was required. But what is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying something more. There's something more. You know, God wants us to obey His commands, but John tells us, yes, but if you cannot obey my commands and love your brother, then you're not obeying my commands. You're not doing it. You might think you're doing it, but you're not doing it. You go, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Even at this time, the law of God spelled out plainly what God wanted and required to deal with the sins of man. David knows God has more for him. It is not merely to augment the behavior of men, but to change them at their core. It was not merely to give them a standard or a set of rules to vigorously pursue so that they could attain some level of, of, of human perfection. God was planning to restore the world to better than its original former glory in the Garden of Eden. God was going to do a new creation and it was going to be better. It wasn't just going to be as good as Eden. Nathaniel said something so incredible last night, it's really got my mind blown and I really think it's right from God. He's like, you know what? He said, people today who want to live lives of holiness and goodness, they fail because they look back. I'm telling you, this is profound. Someone said, we're going to have to write this down. This is true. He said, we look back to a time when, when people lived better and we get the old books and, and, and we think we want to imitate them. And the truth is, is if they had done it right, it would still be happening. We aren't those who look back. We aren't those who shrink back. We look forward. What is, it, what is it God would have us to do? Not what did they do that we think because we didn't live in that time and we imagined that their lives were so much better. We don't, we don't, not, we don't need to go back in time. We are people who are going forward. Folks, this is profound. If we believe that God is changing the world and His kingdom is coming and His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, it hasn't been done right quite yet. We're gonna, we've got to try it again. We're, what are we pressing forward for? What are we seeking that we haven't done? There was a new creation. A new heart was going to replace the stony heart of men. See, this was the new thing that God was doing. 
I showed you what I wanted, but I wanted you to show you that even if I told you what I wanted, you couldn't do it. Because you can't do it. In fact, nobody ever has. Save one. Everybody say, save one. A new heart to replace the stony heart, the hard heart of men, dead in sin, with a fleshy soft one ready to follow after their father of heaven. Because do you know at the heart of it all, it isn't the individual, dumb, stupid, defiant things that we do. It is our will that is the, the, the matter here. Man decided he was going to do what he wanted. He was self-willed. God said not do it, and He said, I will do it, and He did it. And the answer to the world's problems, okay, is not my will, but thine be done. And this is what is the heart of this psalm and what the heart of this truth is about. How in the world can, you, can a man change his own will? But say, he cannot. But what God can do is He can give him a new heart. The next two verses, verses 7 and 8, say something that to me would be difficult to understand if we didn't already have an explanation of it in the book of Hebrews. When I remember reading it, I'm thinking, how am I going to preach this? I don't understand what he's saying. It, 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 it sounded a little too King Jamesy. I didn't know what he was talking about. But then remembered I, the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, and thank God the expositor has exposited it, and so I don't need to exposit it for you better than he did because I can't, couldn't anyway. He says this, read this. this, I mean this sounds like out of the blue, I can't even imagine singing something like this. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, you, now, because of all that I've said, you might go, well, that's pretty simple. Yeah, it's pretty simple because I already told you about 14 times already today. I'm going to tell you again. Because if you read this psalm, you will miss this. I think you would be very likely to miss it. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, offered Israel a looking glass into the future and into salvation brought by the Messiah. Here's what the author of Hebrews said of David's words here in Psalm 40. And we heard some of these, and I'm not going to try to preach every verse of this, but just listen to what he says. Hebrews 10.1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of those things, can never, everybody say never, Never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers perfect. So it didn't matter what you did. It didn't matter the changing of your diet. It didn't matter the circumcising of your children. It did not matter the sacrifices that they offered at the altar. It could not change them. Couldn't do it. For then would they, would they haven't quit? You know, if, if you offer up your bullock and if it cleansed your sins then why would you offer another one next year on the Day of Atonement? If it works, it doesn't work, okay? For then would they, would they not have stopped doing it because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin? But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance of sin made every year, and this is once a year the Day of Atonement. For it is not possible, everybody say, not possible. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And I will, this is not adding to the word of God. It says this other places. It is not possible that you can do anything to save yourself. It is not possible that you can offer any sacrifice. You can do any great deed. 
You can offer your own body all you want, but it is not a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. There is only one sacrifice acceptable to God, and it was the truly righteous and perfect Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we want to offer ourselves up in, 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 in our own righteousness, and God says, I don't want that. Wherefore he says, Christ's Wherefore, when he, and when you read this in Hebrews, it doesn't say Christ, okay, but it is exactly what it is. Wherefore, when he came into the world, the entire chapter is about Jesus, so there's no confusion here. He comes in the world, he said, sacrifice and offering thou would not, but a body thou hast prepared. It's quoting Jesus as saying this in Psalm chapter 40. Isn't that amazing? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou had no pleasure. Doing right is one thing. Wanting to do it is another. The sacrifice of an animal that you own is one thing, but the death of your own will is a completely different thing. He was not putting down sacrifice. He was explaining it for what it was and what it was not. And he was showing how much more that God desires the change of a man's heart, not merely the change of his behavior. As we quoted David last week from Psalm 51 as he grieved over his own sin with Bathsheba and against her good husband. He cries out and he said, Oh Lord, if you had wanted sacrifice, I would have given it to you. But what you wanted from me is a broken heart for my sin and hatred of it because of your love for me. When someone does something because they love you so much, that not doing it breaks their heart. That is such a beautiful and a wonderful and amazing thing. And when we do that for God, the only way we can do that is if a new heart. I would have given you sacrifice, but you didn't want it. What you wanted is for my heart to be broken, for my sin. And, and you wanted me to hate it because you love me. Imagine for a moment, what do you want more from those that you love to do what you want because they know you want it done or to do it because they just love you and they just go oh I know that's what my dad wants I know that's what my husband wants I know that's what my wife wants and that makes me want to do it anybody ever do anything for you like that it's different when they go if I don't do it they're going to think I'm stupid or if they don't do it they're going to be mad or if I don't do it I'm going to get in trouble how many people really 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 appreciate it yeah, I mean, you know, hey, I'm glad when things get done. But imagine if they're like, hey, the reason I do this is because I just, I love you. And I know, I know it's what you want. Talk about making a father's dreams come true or a mother's and God's. God says, with their hands, they seem to be so close to me, but with their, their hearts, they're far from me with their mouths, you know, with their hands. They seem so close to me. Oh, God, oh, God. But in their hearts, they are far from me. I'll continue in Hebrews. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. See what he's talking about? He's saying, what I want to do is I want to do your will. Uh, and he, and this, is, this is Paul exegeting the scripture or whoever wrote Hebrews. We're not 100% sure, so I always stop there. The writer of Hebrews. So he's exegeting what the scripture means in verse 8 here. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou would not, 
neither had pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said I, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. So he's saying, I'm taking away burnt sacrifices and offerings because I'm going to replace it with something better than that. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And I harp on this a lot in our church, and I do because I know it's a struggle for some of you. Some of us. Who work so hard with hopes that are not real. If we try to live righteous because we love God, we're doing it for the right reason. If we do because we think something else, we're, we're wrong. Jesus wanted to, he wanted to obey and he did obey while men have worked hard and done pretty good at obeying all the while, never wanting to. And they did it out of fear and dread. This is not the restoration of relationship. It is not walking again in the garden with God. It is running for your life because it's precious to you and avoiding the pain of the judgment of not doing so. But it is never the end. Perfect love, mature love casts out all fear. Paul goes on, or the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and every priest stands daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Aren't you glad that we don't have to offer any sacrifices anymore to pay for our sins? They're paid for. What this should do in you is make you love God and go, why has he done this for me? When I keep doing the same dumb things. And he goes, because I love you. I knew that. I knew you. When you were yet without strength, I brought this to pass for you. I've written your name down. You're going to be in heaven. It should make us crumble in humility before him. Why me, oh God? For by one offering he has perfected forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost is a witness for us. For after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make. And now Paul's quoting from Jeremiah. It's amazing. David writes what Jeremiah will write. And David writes what Isaiah has it written. And he does it in Psalm 40. A man with filthy, bloody hands. How can it be? We can't just pretend to be overwhelmed. We've got to see it. He quotes this. Paul quotes Jeremiah because Jeremiah ends up saying more of what David had already said in Psalm 40. This is the covenant that I will make after him in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds and I will write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. These are the words of Jeremiah the prophet from Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read him from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming. <laughs> Do you know that day, Laura, that day came. The days aren't coming, Luke. <laughs> They're here. We live in the day of the new heart, which is the delight of God, the new heart's delight. We live in that day. We're not waiting anymore. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah said, that I will make a new covenant saith the Lord, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, which covenant they broke, 
although I was a husband to them. God was faithful and men were not. So you know what I did? Because they couldn't keep that one, I made another one. Oh, the wonder of it all. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with Israel. After those days, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. Wow. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars by night that divides the sea and the waves. The Lord of the host is his name. Hebrews 10 continues on. Where remission of these sins are, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holies, holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart how do we draw near with a true heart? You can't unless God gives you one. You might, some of you, some of you young people might be here. You've been raised in a Christian home. Do you know you, being raised in a Christian home isn't enough? Some of you may know how to look good and act good and be good, but that, that's, that's not enough. You may know that I just, oh, I do that because I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want the people of our church to think bad of me or I want to be like this one because they want to do that. Folk, I'm telling you right now, children, if you don't want to do these things, pretending that you want to isn't the way to go here. I'm not telling you to go out and just go wild. What I'm telling you is this, call on God to change your heart. And if your heart isn't changed, then all of your good works are really just going to end you up in a trash pile of your own brokenness because God will humble you. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without, without fear. Let us consider one another to provoke each other to love and to good works, not forsaking. It's funny. Not forsaking of our assembling. Some people acted like that what we were doing was forsaking the assembling. What a silly dot to draw, I, I really, really think. I think the people of this church, I don't think you could make them forsake the assembling of themselves together if we had to cross landmines to do it. I can't go, there's too much to go on here in Hebrews. I'm just going to have to skip through this. I'm going to end with the rest of Psalm 40 because I stopped up in verse 8 and I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of fly through the rest of this and try to bring this all together. I have preached righteousness, verse 9, in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. We have faith, but it is not a faith that we can or should shut up inside of us. It is a wellspring of light that should issue forth from us. The goodness of God within us and for us is a story of love about God that we must share with anyone we can get to hear it. We should be going around. We should be telling them. We should be sharing what He has done for us. And rather than going, oh, those people over there think they're better than me, they should go away going, those people don't think they're even good enough for God. 
But what they're amazed about is that he lets them even come and assemble and worship his name. I mean, what, what if the world saw the church like that other than a bunch of goody two-shoes? I don't even know what a goody two-shoes is, but it's something we used to say when I was a kid. I mean, I, I, I have two shoes unless I put my foot in the mud and I lose one. We have faith, but it's not a faith that we can or should shut up inside us. As I said before, it's a wellspring of life that should issue forth from us. The goodness of God within us and for us is a story of love about God we must share with anyone who will hear it. This is what evangelism is, what preaching should be, what drives us out of the bliss of our new lives and back into the shadows with our lanterns in our hand, into the highways and the hedges, compelling them to come to the house that is full of food, to the grand feast that God has prepared for us that has so much more, Jason. We don't just want to keep it for ourselves. We want them to come too. David said, I was not guilty of keeping my mouth shut. I opened it and I praised God and I went anywhere and everywhere I could doing it. Oh, people of God, may this be who we are and what we are. Fountains of life-giving words, examples of forgiveness and joy, of humility. Let it be, let it be, let it be for us, people of God. Verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation, and I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Once again, he's saying, this is what I talk about. This is what I sing about. This is what I praise about. This is what I do. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. He's doing a, a play on these words. I did not hold my mouth shut. I did not hold back my praise of you. And Lord, please don't hold back your mercy from me I haven't had but held back my tongue from praising you don't hold your mercy back from me verse 12 innumerable evils have compassed me about mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up they are more than the hairs of my head therefore my heart fails me David's heart is failing him because he knows he doesn't deserve God's rescue he doesn't say uh, bad guys innumerable evils have compassed me about my iniquity has taken hold on me and I am not able even to look up who does that remind you of Becky does it remind, reminds me of Becky of Becky it reminds me of that, that publican that came and he beat upon his breast and he couldn't even look up right he couldn't even look. Oh, am I a sinner? This is David. David's response to salvation is humility and disbelief. Not disbelief as in he doesn't have faith, but disbelief because he just did a wonder at the whole thing. As he had said in Psalm 51, his, he said this. He said, I've sinned against you. He said, my sins are ever before me. Now, I'm not saying we should be depressed by them. We are not because they're covered. But I do believe that our sins should ever be before us. I believe we should never forget the pit that he dragged us from. We should remember it. We should remember that pit. He prays for the courage to continue on even in the midst of the grief of his own sinful state. This is humility on display from a heart that must have gushed with love like this for his God. May it be so with us. 
people of God, may it be the delight of our new hearts that God has given us. And if you don't have a heart like that, call on Him today. The Bible said if we call on Him, He will answer. He said that if we ask, it will be given to us. Call on Him today and ask God to give you a new heart. Verse 13, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Maybe that could be your prayer today. Oh God, I do right, but I don't want to do right. Lord, I, I, I'm more motivated by fear and about worry about getting in trouble and, and about fitting in and less about love for you. Oh God, give me a love for you. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy me. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward for their shame that say, aha, aha, aha. Let those that seek you, dear Lord, rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation and say continually, the Lord be magnified. <laughs> we used to walk up to each other and say, Praise the Lord. We used to do that. We, we, don't, we don't really do that in this church, but we, I, I loved that part of my church growing up. I'd, see, I'd say, Jason, praise the Lord. And he'd say, praise the Lord. You know where that comes from? It comes from Psalm 40, verse 16. He said, let those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Or what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? What is it? It is, it is a, a spring that comes out of us. I mean, isn't that better than, how you doing? What's up? What's going on, man? How about, the Lord be magnified. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We talked this week in our Bible study from Philippians that, that the early church, their greeting was, rejoice in the Lord. Imagine Derek when I walked in your door. I wish I would have done it. Well, you're like, rejoice in the Lord, Brother Derek. And he might go, you sound like a bunch of crazy, weirdo Christian people, you know? It's like, you got our number? <laughs> Praise the Lord! Let the, if, if, you're, if that's too undignified, say, the Lord be magnified. And you can even look, you can even let your glasses slide, the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified. Now that's a greeting. It's another way of saying, praise the Lord. David ends his song in the wonder at the goodness of God for a man like him, which is really what this whole song has been about. May it be so for May it be so for us. May it be so for brothers and sisters that looking up at God always reminds us who we are without him. What a way to end it, he says. But I am poor and needy. It's going to have that other psalm in, right? The psalm that was our call to worship, Psalm 86, I believe. He ends this song of praise by saying, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Oh, the wonder of it all. I am poor and needy, Matt, but the Lord still thinks about me. Thou art my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Now for the final words here of Psalm 40, they invoke a moment which my wife and I shared this week as we were kind of communing together about the goodness of God. And I'm going to sing them for you. And when I sing them for you, I just want you to just stop for a minute 
And I want you to marinate your soul in this thought that God hears my prayers, but I just, I can't even understand why. How sweet. How do we start this? How sweet awful is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast each of us cries with thankful hearts Lord why was I a guest why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a Jesus, we hear your words and we ask ourselves with thankful hearts, why have we been made a guest at your table, O Lord? Like little lame Mephibosheth sitting at the table of the king, once an enemy, but now a friend of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would make the delight of our new hearts, the love of your law, that we indeed would meditate upon it day and night and we would be like the tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season, his leaf, not withering in his, whatsoever we do, prospering. Help us, O oh Lord God, for we need a new heart today that you can be the delight of our new hearts. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.